This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Wondering how they got between the water and the enemy Couldn't move forward, couldn't move back God had them where he wanted them, frozen in their tracks And I'm guessing this was the conversation Lord, we're in a mighty bad situation We need a big mighty God In a mighty big way with the power that the waters obey. You know that we are mighty small, and we serve you to save the day. We need a big, mighty God in a mighty big way. in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, tossing in the storm, and they were wondering how the Lord could sleep, taking on water, thinking they'd drown. God had them where He wanted them, scared of going down, and to know that this was the conversation. Lord, we're in a mighty bad situation. We need a big, mighty God. In a mighty big way, a God with the power that the waters obey. You know that we are mighty small, and we certainly need to save the day. We need a big, mighty God in a mighty big way. His hand still calms the Take your Bibles, open them to Genesis chapter 4, and if you can multitask with the other hand, with the other eye, reach into your bulletin and remove the insert that looks like this. 
And let me just go ahead and say that uh, next Sunday we are going to begin a new sermon series that's entitled Right in Your Eye. Now, I don't know when I've been so excited but yet so petrified to start a new series. And I've been doing some preparatory work over the last few weeks just trying to get my heart right, my mind right, and uh, doing research. Um, But anyway, here is your assignment because next week we are going to cover... I think the most bizarre story in the entire Bible. So I I need you to just uh, be a step ahead of me. Read Judges chapters 19, 20, and 21. Okay, write that down. And I may give you a quiz on it. Uh, Judges chapters 19, 20, and 21. And this story, for, for those of you that are parents... I guarantee you, you never told this story to your kids for a bedtime story. And and those of you that have read ahead, why you know what I'm talking about. But um, let me just say that this story is really graphic. And your your kids are going to be safe here. Honestly, I think the story is probably R-rated, maybe, but we're going to make it G-rated for the service, okay? Uh, but but I need you to read, and I, I, I've never preached an entire message on this story. I've, I've done a hit and run, you know, just kind of made references to it. Uh, but we're going to look at the entire story next Sunday, and uh, I just need you to have the background there. We're going to tackle a really difficult subject, but I believe God is leading us in this direction. So Judges 19, 20, 21. Recent figures put the murder rate in the United States at a little over 16,000 people per year. This averages out to around 44 a day, which comes out to almost two people being murdered every hour of every day of every week of every month of every year. Now, our lesson today documents the first recorded murder in the Bible, and And this was a premeditated, cold-blooded, first-degree murder where a young man killed his own blood brother. Now, before we get to that part of the story, let's work our way up to it and first of all say that the story in our lesson today of Cain and Abel is a story of anger. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 5, we'll read in a moment, the the word anger in the Hebrew suggests that Cain was more than just a little upset. It carries the idea of a burning anger. Now, psychologists tell us that there are several stages of anger. First of all, there's mild irritation. You know, someone pulls out in front of you, pokes along, or you're waiting for a car to back out of a uh, parking place, and someone comes from the other direction, direction and zips in there and... But but those irritations, they're no big deal. Hopefully, we can forget them in just a few seconds. Well, then uh, the, the next level of, of, of anger is, uh, you know, what, what they call uh, indignation. And, and this goes beyond uh, being ir- irritated. You're, you're ticked, and, and you may end up giving someone a piece of your mind, but you're not out of control with your anger. And, and again, not a huge deal. Third level is wrath, and, and anger has grown to the point where you're pretty upset. 
Someone has done something to you, said something about you. There's no getting around it. People can tell you are riled. And then there's fury. Your anger has reached the boiling point and, and you can't sleep at night. You lay awake thinking of ways to get even. And then psychologists say that the last stage of anger is what is called rage. And, and by now it is flat out of control. And more than likely will eventually express itself in acts of violence. And, and the anger that Cain felt was probably the last stage of anger. So the story of Cain and Abel is a story of anger, but anger is not the topic of this lesson. And then as we mentioned at the very beginning, this story is also a story of murder. And, and the Hebrew word used here for kill is, is a word used when describing a violent death. It, it literally means to butcher. Cain lured Abel out to the field and brutally murdered his brother. And, and one commentator suggested that the Hebrew word butcher could indicate that Cain cut his brother's throat. Even though we don't know that for sure. But neither is murder the topic of this lesson. As we study this incident in the lives of Cain and Abel, I want us to go beyond the anger. I want us to go beyond murder and focus on what I believe is the real issue in this lesson. And that's the matter of worship. Now, I know from this story, it sounds kind of off the wall, but in the first few verses of Genesis chapter 4, which we will read shortly, we see that the conflict that led Cain to murder his brother was because of a difference in the way they worshipped. Which leads me to say this, the thing that should have united them, and by the way, what should unite us as Christians way too many times divides us. You've heard of worship wars. And even though I always emphasize that worship goes way beyond music, yet church after church has been split over worship styles and music preferences. <laughs> and, and, I, and I'll admit here, and I'm, I'm sorry, but I have little patience for anyone that tries to say that one type of music in worship is more spiritual than another. Now, I don't have a problem with people saying, well, this is my preference when it comes to music. And, but for someone say, to say this style of music is God's favorite or this type of music is more spiritual. I, I'm sorry, but I probably will say something that won't be very nice to you. You know, as long as the lyrics and the music lift up the name of Jesus, honor the name of Jesus, I believe as it talks about in Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3, whether it's psalms, hymns, or spiritual songs, it's all pleasing to God. Now, let me give you some insight into the concept of Old Testament worship. Old Testament worship took place when people brought sacrifices and offerings to God. And, and if you study the Bible, you find that the sacrifices offered in the Old Testament, little by little unveiled or little by little pointed to Jesus Christ. Let me illustrate it this way. If you go outside in the morning and it's a bright day, you will find your shadow very distorted and elongated. 
You know, if the conditions are right, your shadow will sometimes make you look like you're 20 feet tall. But as the sun continues to rise, what happens? Your shadow begins to lessen. And finally, at high noon, the shadow completely disappears. And all you see is you. And in the book of Genesis, as the sun begins to rise at the dawn of civilization, our understanding of Christ is just a shadow that is distorted. I mean, the sacrifices, the feasts, the festival, the rituals, the customs, the traditions of the Old Testament, they don't make a lot of sense. But little by little, if you will work your way through the scriptures, you will see the light of God's revelation begin to rise through the Bible. And those shadows will begin to lessen until you no longer see the shadow of Christ, but you see Jesus himself. Now, our story, our lesson today begins as one of those Old Testament shadows. And and if you only read Genesis chapter four, the lesson will be confusing. It will only be a shadow. And by the way, that's, that's the reason many people don't understand the Bible. They, they, they start reading the Bible, but they see those shadows, the sacrifices, you know, the seemingly strange customs. And they say, oh, I don't understand this. This doesn't make a bit of sense. And they stop reading. But if you will continue to study the Bible as you get closer to the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, those confusing shadows, such as our story today of Cain and Abel, will lessen. And you will be able to understand that those sacrifices, those sacrifices pointed to Jesus Christ who shed his blood for us. Well, many of you know the account of Cain and Abel, but never hurts to review it. So Genesis chapter 4 verse 1 reads like this. Now Adam slept with his wife Eve and she became pregnant. When the time came, she gave birth to Cain and she said, with the Lord's help, I brought forth a man. Later... She gave birth to a second son, and some people say, well, they're twins. Others, no. But later, she gave birth to a second son, named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain was a farmer. Keep those facts in mind. Abel a shepherd, Cain a farmer. Verse 3, at harvest time, Cain brought to the Lord a gift of his farm produce, while Abel brought several choice lambs from the best of his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his offering, but he did not accept Cain and his offering. This made Cain very angry and dejected. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked him. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you respond in the right way. But if you refuse to respond correctly, then watch out. Sin is waiting to attack and destroy you, and you must subdue it. Later, Cain suggested to his brother Abel, let's go out into the fields. And while they were there, Cain attacked And killed his brother. Now, as I studied uh, this lesson this past week, there were three takeaways that surfaced. I just want to share them with you. First of all, this story shows us that we have a tendency to rationalize our disobedience. What happens when we rationalize our disobedience? Well, it opens the door to what I call homemade religion. Now, homemade religion is religion that we adapt and shape to fit us, depending on our preferences. In other words, we may do things that that go against the Bible, but in our minds, our circumstances justify it. And so we find a way to excuse our disobedience. That's what I call homemade religion. And, And that thinking has led our country to becoming so tolerant and inclusive that 
and this is just me, I, no, no statistics say this, but, but I think the most often quoted Bible verse is no longer John 3.16. It's now been replaced with that verse that says, judge not that you be not judged. And it's actually been taken out of context to justify any behavior regardless of how wrong it is biblically. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a right way and there is a wrong way. And, and I probably don't need to say this, but, but, but at the risk of sounding old-fashioned, let me remind you that the Bible says there is only one way to heaven. And, and Jesus is not just the best way to heaven. And, and Jesus is not just a good way to heaven. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Now, a little review that many of you already know. But because of Adam and Eve's disobedience, God said the ground would be cursed and the Garden of Eden would no longer be like it was. And originally in the Garden of Eden, you can just kind of tickle the soil and, and it would bloom with vegetables and fruit. And it was never too hot, never too cold, never too wet, never too dry. The conditions were perfect. But when sin entered the world, God said, Adam, you're now going to have to go to work. You're going to have to farm and, and only by the sweat of your brow will you be able to put food on the table. Well, Cain became a crop farmer. Followed his father's footsteps, but, but then it came time for him to pause from his farming and spend some time worshiping the Lord. And, and so I want to bring this out. Cain knew, Cain knew that it was important to take time to worship the Lord. That's better than a lot of people today. But not only did Cain set a time, aside time to worship God, but he prepared a wonderful offering to bring to church. And you understand it wasn't church in the sense like we have today. I'm just calling it that because we can kind of relate to it that way. But, but Cain gathered maybe some of the very best of his produce, maybe some recently picked vegetables and, and some fruit, maybe some of the fragrant herbs that were very common back then. Maybe threw in some flowers and Cain brought his beautiful offering and said, God... I'm giving you the very best from my garden. Now, honestly, I think most of us would have said, Oh, Cain, that's so wonderful. I mean, not only did you take time out of your busy schedule to come to church, but you brought a beautiful, a generous offering to the Lord. Oh, Cain, you have such a good heart. We're so lucky to have you in this church and... We're thankful for your generosity and we're pleased with you. And I know God's got to be pleased with you. Good job, my brother. But the truth was that God wasn't pleased with Cain. In fact, the Bible says God would not accept Cain's offering. Now, that raises the question of why. I mean, why didn't God accept this offering that was probably the best from Cain's guard? I mean, is, is God that picky? Is God some kind of OCD control freak that tries to micromanage every single aspect of our lives? God, how about a little bit of tolerance and how about some diversity? I mean, surely that had to devastate, hurt his self-esteem. He had to be blindsided by all of this. Well, I want us to understand and somebody kind of hit me at the door and about this but Cain should not have been blindsided 
Because God had made it clear from the very dawn of civilization that a sacrifice to God had to include the blood of an animal. It was built into the hearts and minds of mankind. And, and this was not just a God who was micromanaging and who was trying to be a control freak and, and trying to spring something new on Cain. But this, this was something that had been established and communicated to mankind from the very beginning of civilization. And, and you've heard the expression, you can't get blood out of a turnip. I don't know where that expression came from, but it was sure applicable here. As Cain brought his turnips or other vegetables and fruit and flowers, there was no blood in his offering. And God was not pleased with it because, again, he had made it abundantly clear that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Can, can I give a modern day look to this same story? Because we, we essentially do the same thing today. There are people that is keen, and they may not actually say this out loud, but they think, God, you know, I'm so busy. I work a lot of hours per week, and I've got a stressful job, and I work around a bunch of people who are filling the blank. And I need a day away from people. But God, I made it to church today. How about a pat on the back for me? And then there are even those of us that volunteer to help with the feeding of the kids program that we will kick off here soon. And, and we come and we wrestle with those 50 kids of, of which a few of them are not very nice. And, and again, we feel pretty good about ourselves because, I mean, we served, we gave of our time. And, and then we dropped some money into the offering. And, and even though things are tough, we still gave. And we, we may not say this, but we think, I'm a good boy. And because we do those things, I'm afraid that some of us believe that we can bend God's rules a little bit like Cain did. And simply because we go to church a little and pray a little and give a little and serve a little, we feel that God will excuse the addictions or the bad attitudes or whatever simply because, oh God, you know, I, I love you. <laughs> but just as God did not overlook Cain's disobedience, neither will he overlook our disobedience. And as your parents told you, and as you told your kids, wrong is wrong even if everybody is doing it. Right is right even if nobody is doing it. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Just wait till next week. <laughs> How about Abel's worship? Well, we find out that Abel in verse 4 brought several choice lambs from the best of his flock. Now, let me just kind of clarify this. I think sometimes we get the idea that Cain and Abel were a couple of country bumpkins. You all know what that is here? Country bumpkins? Have you ever heard? Or is that just an Arkansas term that we say in Arkansas? But we think that they're just a couple of hicks that didn't know any better. And one day they got an idea and said, hey, you know what? Let's take an offering to God. And, you know, I think I'll take some produce and... Yeah, I think I'll take some lambs, and we just they just kind of sauntered into the presence of God. That's not the case. And, and no, they did not understand the blood atonement as you and I understand it today because they were on the other side of Calvary. But, but again, I emphasize that they knew that their sacrifices had to include the blood of animals, and God had made that clear. And those sacrifices may have appeared as distorted shadows at that time, yet God was preparing the way for Jesus Christ. Please know that here in the very beginning pages of Genesis, it's all pointing to Jesus. And, and if you don't find Jesus in the book of Genesis, you better go back and read it again and read it again and read it again. 
Because Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and, and, and yeah, even Numbers. You know, the whole Bible is about Jesus. And, and, and we call the first four books in the New Testament the Gospels of Jesus. Uh, but, but really there are 66 Gospels because the entire Bible points to Jesus. And the Old Testament said that somebody is coming. The New Testament says somebody has come. And of course, who is that somebody? His name is Jesus. Everything in the Garden of Eden pointed to Jesus. For example, Adam and Eve went through three phases. They walked in innocence. The glory of God was upon them. They sinned. They lost that innocence. They lost God's glory. They became guilty and were covered in shame. But the story doesn't end in shame as God killed an innocent animal and made for them coats of animal skin. And I believe God was teaching them that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness of sin. And the blood sacrifices continue throughout the Bible. And I found this really fascinating. When Noah got off of his boat, what was the first thing that he did? He offered a blood sacrifice to Almighty God. And then Abraham, as he lifted his knife to to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah, which incidentally, scholars believe, is the same mountain that Jesus died on a couple of thousand years later. But as Abraham lifted the knife to plunge it into Isaac, all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord said, Abraham, stop! And... Abraham lifted up his eyes, saw a ram caught in the thicket, and Abraham offered that ram in place of his son. There was a blood atonement. And then as the Jews were getting ready to leave the land of Egypt, there was one last plague of the death angel. And God said, to protect you from that, you need to kill a spotless lamb. Put the blood on the doorpost of the house. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And all of these sacrifices were pointing to the day when John the Baptist would step from the banks of the Jordan River and present Jesus and say, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the entire world. And through all of these instances, God was building into the hearts and minds of his people that there was coming a spotless lamb that would give his life and his blood and we would have forgiveness of sins. And, and yes, early in the book of Genesis, those, those uh, sacrifices were just shadows. But as time went on, everything became so much more clear. And, and then 2,000 years ago, the sun hit high noon when Jesus came bursting out of the tomb and God poured all of his light upon the Lord Jesus Christ and said, here is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Wow. I'm sorry you're not as excited as I am. Let's move on to uh, the next point. I'll try to go faster on this one, but The next conclusion I drew from this account is that God has a standard that he upholds. God was very pleased and accepted the blood sacrifice of Abel, but he rejected the fruit sacrifice of Cain. Now, here's what some people say. They say, not fair. I mean, why didn't God just say, Cain, come on, man. You didn't do exactly what I instructed you to do. I mean, you forgot the blood sacrifice. But Cain, you've got a good heart. You had good intentions. So I'm going to accept it this time. And I think that's what many of us feel that God will do. You know, a person could live a life of ungodliness and immorality and have a mouth that's foul, yet at their death. What do we say? We, we preachers, we're notorious liars at funerals. <laughs> but what do we say? We say, well... They're in a better place. 
Yeah, they had their issues. Yeah, they were kind of rough around the edges, but they sure had a good heart, and they're singing in heaven, the heavenly choir today. Please know that God's holiness would not allow him to overlook Cain's disobedience. In fact, if God were to let one unconfessed sin go unpunished, then he would cease to be a holy God. You understand that? God would topple from his throne of holiness. But, but praise God, through his son Jesus, he's made provision so that our sin can be pardoned in Christ. And, and the Bible says Christ is the propitiation. And, and that's kind of a, a strange word, but that word just means that he is the satisfaction for our sins. And, and so therefore, in God's mercy, and understand, it is an act of mercy, our sins can be confessed and pardoned. And boy, do we ever need mercy. It's kind of a dumb story. A lady went to a photographer, had her pictures taken. And when she got her pictures, she didn't like it, took her back and demanded a retake. And he said, what's wrong? She said, well, it doesn't do me justice. And he looked at the picture and he said, lady, you don't need justice. You need mercy. <laughs> and that's what we need. We need God's mercy. And God's lamb in the ultimate act of mercy took my sin. My sins, <laughs> a bunch of them. And he took your sins to the cross. And you know what happened? He paid our sin bill in full. <sighs> the last thing. Religion without Jesus brings about conflict. Religion without Jesus, even in families, brings about conflict. We read the tragic ending. Cain said to his brother, Hey, bro, let's go out to the fields. While they were there, Cain attacked and killed. And again, the Hebrew word really carries the implication of butcher. He butchered his brother. And this is the crazy thing. It started over worship. Worship or religion without Jesus is mean and cruel. Religion without Jesus brought about the Crusades many years ago when battles were fought over religion. Religion without Jesus down through the years has caused acts of terror between Catholics and Protestants. Religion without Jesus caused people to turn airplanes into missiles and fly them into buildings. Religion without Jesus causes people to be critical and selfish. And in the ultimate act of cruelty, religion without Jesus causes people, caused people to nail the Savior of the world to the cross. Remember, they had religion. Very, relig very religious. But it was religion without Jesus. And today... The greatest threat to America is religion. Religion without Jesus. Because again, religion without Jesus makes us selfish, makes us selfish. It makes us materialistic. It makes us care little about morals. It turns us into a tolerant, correct society where everything goes, homemade religion. And religion without Jesus will eventually cause our nation to implode. And um, 
we all know that America is involved in a fight against a religion without Jesus. This religion says the only way you're guaranteed of making it to heaven is to kill a Christian whom they call an infidel. And did you know that God's word prophesied that this would happen? Did you know that? Because in John chapter 16, it says they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming. Listen, when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. Wow. That's exactly what is happening today. And then it goes on in verse 4. It says, I've told you this, so when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. So in other words, God is saying, don't be surprised at this. He said, I, I warned you. I warned you that would happen. And what, what, what is this? This is religion without Jesus. Now, just to kind of wrap things up, let me try to summarize what I've tried to say over the last 20, 30 minutes. There are two roads in life. The first is the way of Cain. Cain was a good man. In a sense, he took time to go to church. He brought an offering to God. But he put together a homemade religion where he thought he could set his own terms. God rejected his offering. The second way is the way of Abel. And and that's coming through the blood of Jesus and obeying him completely. And this road leads to heaven. And, and so, just in my notes here, my final question is this. Which road are we going to take? Which road? are we going to take and so uh, as we pray this morning could we just ask God to maybe reveal to us the real condition of our heart are, are we trying to build our own belief system you know according to what we think is right homemade religion or or are we just, you know, going back to, you know, the Word of God that sometimes it's confusing, sometimes just shadows, sometimes the traditions, all of these things, a little bit confusing, but are we willing to go back to God's Word and say, I'm going to follow the Word? So this morning as we pray, could we just uh, ask God to search our hearts? Just ask Him to cleanse us, purify us, make us exactly what He wants us to be. Can we pray together? Lord, we, uh, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, what I love about Your Word is You don't just have a storybook that where everybody lives happily ever after but you've got you got the stories of people who lived right but you have stories of people who messed up and and God I thank you that that helps us to maybe sometimes come down to earth and and realize that those times that we do mess up like people in the Bible there is an atonement there is the forgiveness of sins 
And God, I pray that we would not be guilty of trying to make up our own religion. And Lord, that's kind of our philosophy today. We say, well, I think this. And Lord, it matters not what we think. But Lord, I pray that you would search our hearts this week. Lord, we don't need to live in fear because uh, your word tells us that when there is a sin that you will come and convict us and if there is sin in our lives that we would just repent and receive forgiveness Lord don't let us be uh, just trying to fabricate and trying to come up with a system that we're comfortable with because probably we're not going to be totally comfortable with all of the tenets in your word but Lord let us focus on obedience And God, if there's anyone here with sin in their hearts, I pray that they would receive that forgiveness, that they would go to the spotless lamb that was shed for our sins. Lord, that we could receive forgiveness and cleansing and Lord, that we could uh, continue following you. And Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts for this next week. I'm, I'm really... As I said, excited and even a bit petrified about this new series, but Lord, I pray that as we uh, as we begin that, that and as we begin our time with two talk for two, Lord, that you would just kind of blend those two together, and Lord, that there would be a, just an amazing sense of revival. And Father, we believe we exist to see unbelievers as well as nominal Christians become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, and. So, Lord, we want to see revival within the church, but we want to see evangelism without the church, outside of the church. And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just be happy with uh, me, myself, and I, and us four no more. But I pray that, Lord, our eyes would go beyond us and that we would just have a passion for those who need Jesus. So, Lord, we thank you again for your word. Thank you for these stories that cause us to just cause, maybe call a time out and search our own hearts and lives. Thank you, Lord, for the body of Christ, these believers that I've come to love so much. Would you bless them this week and give them your favor and give them favor among those that don't know you as well. Lord, thank you again for this time together. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. One more thing. If if any of you you know, ever want to talk and you want to talk uh, on a Sunday, that's great. Or you want to call us and just talk in the privacy of our offices during the week. We're here. That's why we are here. And so please don't ever hesitate to, to call us. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.